morning. Good morning. Welcome. Yeah, everybody can be seated. My name is Ken. Happy 4th of July. It is wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, for our friends that are out at the lake or online at home or possibly traveling, we are so glad that you've chosen to take a little bit of your time out today to be with us as well. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I serve as the Connections Pastor here at Salem. And that means that part of my role, or a lot of my role, has to do with building community here at our church. Uh, I oversee or, or support our, hospi our hospitality ministries. That includes gathering grounds, greeters, ushers, uh, our connection center, our security team. Uh, but additionally, uh, I, I help support our life group ministries, our small groups, and, and our adult Sunday school. And for me... I just have always cared so much about people feeling like they have a sense of belonging. And so about a week and a half ago, I was out to lunch with a friend of mine, Josh, who's part of our church, and he asked me this question that caused me to pause. He said, why are you so passionate about community? And sometimes we don't think about why we do what we do, right? Sometimes we forget what motivates us, and so... I took a little bit of time to think about it, and I probably spent 10 or 15 minutes answering him. I will give you guys the 90-second version. Um, but as I got to thinking about it, like, I just, I so much want every person who walks through these doors, whether you've been part of our church for years or whether you have walked through the doors for the very first time today, to feel welcomed and loved. Because I know that when you walk through those doors, you have this sense like, well, I have this uh, sense of belonging. Uh, the other thing is, I, I just know that being in a Christ-honoring, loving, authentic community is so vital for our spiritual growth, right? Our relationships with others are impacted by other people, or, or our relationship with God is impacted by other people who are encouraging us and spurring us on and inviting us into stuff. The other thing I realized was that I can remember back in my teens uh, being the outcast, you know, having some seasons where I felt like I didn't belong and I wasn't welcome, and it breaks my heart when people feel that way, and so I really want us to be a welcoming and loving uh, church, and so that uh, a lot of those things are at the heartbeat of why I feel that way. And last week, uh, Pastor Seth uh, shared uh, John chapter 13, uh, where he talked about the disciples' uh, feet being washed by Jesus. And then he kind of fast forwarded through the chapter and he talked about John 13, verses 34 and 35. And in 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you, love one another. And then he goes on to say this in verse 35 By this, Everyone will you know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, the other thing that happened to me in my spiritual journey was I grew up in a church where I could come and go without hardly anybody saying hello. And uh, frequently I walked into that church late and walked out early. And rarely did I hear, you know, not a lot of people knew my name. And that was part of my faith journey for 20 years. And when I was about 26 years old, I went to an evangelical church in Steamboat Springs, Colorado for the very first time. And it was the weirdest thing. Like these people seemed to really want to be there. They seemed to like really like each other. Like there just seemed to be this affection for one another. And they were just welcoming and loving. And I thought, boy, how impactful is that? 
depending on where you've grown up and what you've experienced. And so, you know, I, I hope that, well, I don't hope, we are a church that does a great job at this in a lot of ways. Like when you see the conversations happening out here and the energy and the care for one another, but I just want us to continue to grow and grow in that area. So, we're continuing our sermon series titled Risking Church, and the subtitle of Risking Church has been uh, taking a risk on, how's it worded? Uh, thank you. Why choosing to be fully known is worth the risk. And today, the subtitle is, What Does Intentional Community Look Like? Like, I really want to take kind of a hard look at that. And this will not be all-encompassing, but there is a passage of Scripture that I think pre, uh, speaks very well to this. So we're going to talk about what does intentional community look like. Now, we hosted a community builders gathering uh, back on June 13th, and it was just a chance for a number of people from our church to get together to discuss, like, what are the things that are going to help us build authentic, uh, struggle-well, life-giving, Christ-centered community? And about 70 people came to that. And they share different ideas. And the goal is not to fill up our social calendars because uh, for many of us, our social calendars are already well overstocked with things. But the goal is to invite people into Christ-centered, life-giving, struggle-well community together. And to do that, we need to be intentional and thoughtful. And we need to work hospitality into our everyday rhythms. Now, there are lots of good things that good things that came out of that conversation on June 13th before things kind of rose to the top. Uh, one was this. It was fostering a welcoming community for newcomers so that newcomers would feel welcome, that they could easily get plugged in, uh, that they could find out more about the church. And so we've got some things that we're thinking through there between Discover Salem and Newcomers Life Group and Sunday lunches and things. The second thing was fostering community within our church body. You know, a lot of that happens right here on Sundays. A lot of that happens within our group's ministry. So we're like, okay, how can we reboot, relaunch our group's ministry and really encourage people to get into groups where they're being loved and being known and so forth and so on. The third was improving communication, helping people to know how they can get plugged in and connected. And the fourth was this, encouraging independent community building efforts. And what I mean by that or what that means is like nothing will have greater impact on the church than each and every one of us just kind of living out building community, right? I mean, every one of us can invite somebody to coffee. Every one of us can offer to pray for somebody. Every one of us can invite somebody over uh, for lunch. And so uh, we want to grow in all of those areas. And as we think through what intentional community looks like, Here's where I would start, and if you're doing the fill in the blanks on your uh, note card, you can, uh, this is the first one. Intentional community starts with a, a Christ-born love. So like when we look back at uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, um, by this they'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And it is a Christ-born love in us and through us that helps us to build community like it's it's Jesus spilling out of me doing these things because of my love for God and his love for me so this morning I want to take you to a passage in scripture uh, that's found in Romans we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 13 so if you've got a Bible and you'd like to follow along you can pull that out if you'd like to follow along on your Bible app or it will also be up here on the screen. But here's what I want you to know about Romans. The first 11 
chapters of Romans chapter 12 were all about deep theology. It's like what life in Christ looks like. And then chapter 12 is a turning point in this book that Paul had written. Now in chapter 12 he says, now this is how you live this out. This is how we apply what he's taught for the first 11 chapters. So it's a turning point. So here's how it starts. Therefore, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, we give ourselves to the things of God. We offer ourselves as students of Jesus, learning his ways and his stories and, and what life in Christ looks like. And we sacrifice our ways for his ways. But not out of guilt or out of obligation, but out of a love-born desire to do what God asks of us. I think about my marriage with my wife, Vicki. Now, I don't treat my wife, Vicki, well because she demands it. Although if she did, I would. Okay, let's just be clear on that. But because I love her and I want to please her, and because pleasing her brings her joy and it actually brings me joy, and it's the same way when we have a relationship with God. Like, we want to do what he asks because it pleases him and it brings him joy and us joy. And then Romans uh, 12 verse 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one of the phrases I love that I've used in the past is think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're filling your mind with. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above. Like God calls us to renew our minds, to learn what he has to teach us and to continually focus on that. And intentional community, intentional community requires ongoing renewal of your mind. Do I invite God to change the way I think? Do I allow him to fill my mind with truth and love and confidence? Do I spend time with him daily? And think about this, renewing is an active word, isn't it? It's not like we ever arrive. Like this is something God wants us to do in our lives for all of times. Like we just got to keep going to him and he keeps transforming us and changing us and growing us in his ways. And then verse three says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, by the grace given me, right? This isn't of our own power. This is the grace of God working in and through us. He says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And then I found myself lost in my notes. Bingo. All right. Intentional community happens in a community of grace where we see others and ourselves as Christ sees us. Here, here's the deal. Every person on planet Earth is intrinsically valuable. Like God created us in the image of God for relationship with God. And God tells us, he says, I don't want you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And I don't want you to put anybody on your uh, pedestal. I don't want you to put yourself on a pedestal. Neither do I want you to look down at anybody. 
Neither do I want you to think that you're better than somebody else. An intentional community happens when we live in a community of grace where we see ourselves and others as Christ sees us. And then verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters. Like the same spirit that lives in me lives in you. Every member matters. Every person is gifted. Each member belongs to all of the others. And sometimes when I think of this verse, this passage here, like every member belongs, I'll think of a car. You know how when you, when you wreck your car, where do you take it? You take it to an auto body shop, right? And so a car kind of is a body. And so a car has lots of different parts, doesn't it? It has tires, it's got a steering wheel, it's got seats, it's got an engine. And when those parts are part of the car, it's part of that body. But when they're removed from the car... They're no longer a car. Like when I'm driving along the highway and I see a tire on the side of the road, I don't go, oh, there's a car, right? It's just a part because it's detached. And so God calls us to be part of the body, to be attached to the body. And then it says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. When you became a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, the Spirit gave each one of you gifts, a spiritual gifts. Now, a spiritual gift is something, like there's a, a number of lists of spiritual gifts within the Bible. There's a, one in 1 Corinthians, there's one in uh, Romans, one in Ephesians, as well as in 1 Peter. Uh, and none of them is all-encompassing. But the thing is, and the message that's clear, is that the Holy Spirit has gifted each follower of Christ to do something uniquely through you. And when you've identified those spiritual gifts and are operating in them, it's like you will sense the Spirit of God working through you in ways that you can't understand. But somebody else will go, man, there is just something about the interaction I just had with that person. So here's what it says in verse 6 and 8 about the gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace, God, or grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is, to, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Prophesy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Have you ever been around a person who just gets incredible joy out of serving others, like they just light up when they're serving others. It does something in their spirit and in their heart that nothing else can. Or have you ever been about around someone who just was born to teach or someone who lifts you up with their words or surprises you with their generosity or inspires you with their leadership or brings comfort to you with their presence? If so, you may have been on the receiving end of somebody operating within their spiritual gifts and they may or may not have even been aware of it. 
when I think about intentional community, I think about how each one of us is wired up differently. We have unique God-given gifts that contribute to the health of the body. And reality is because of what your gifts are and how you're wired, like your community may look different than the next person. Right, if I've got incredible passion around prayer, Chances are the community I'm in is going to have prayer involved. If I've got incredible passion around evangelism or hospitality or serving or mercy, like that's going to impact what our community looks like, the community that you're involved in. And what's cool is when like a bunch of those people get together and they've all got different gifts and they're allowed to use those in that community, like that community becomes things that could never be otherwise because people are utilizing their gifts given to them by God to do amazing things. And so intentional community looks different depending on how you're wired by God. Now, if you have never done a deeper dive, spending some time to discover how God wired you up, I want to invite you to join us for Discover You. We, we announced this earlier in the announcements. It begins next week, but what's going to happen in this class is it's going to help you uncover your spiritual gifts, uh, your passions, your abilities, your personality. It's going to help you reflect on your experiences and give you a better picture of like how God has wired you, not only for service uh, within the Salem body, but the, the kingdom of God and in your families and in your workplace. And so if that's something that would be of interest to you, you can find out more on our website. We would love to have you join us. Now, this passage takes a little bit of a shift here in verse 9. So uh, Romans 12, verse 9. Sometimes in some Bibles, the title above this portion of Scripture is love in action. So Paul starts to talk about what love looks like, what it looks like to live out love. And he starts by saying this, love must be sincere. Paul doesn't want us to fake it, but to sincerely love one another. Don't pretend, don't manufacture love. But as you're transformed by the life-changing love of God, let that real love flow out of you as you love others. An intentional community thrives in an atmosphere of authenticity. If you've been around here long, you've heard Pastor Seth talk about struggling well. Like we want to be in communities. We want to uh, have groups and friendships, uh, people where we can truly struggle well with, where we can share hopes and dreams and disappointments and fears, where we can take our mask off and just be who God has created us to be and to actually play our, our hand of cards open so everybody else can see them so that we can speak into that in each other's lives and encourage one another through that. Well, Paul continues. He says this. He says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Maybe you haven't thought about the fact that God hates what is evil. Cutting words, selfish motives, gossip, trafficked children, backstabbing, seedy business deals, slander, division in the church. All of those things are things that God hates, and he wants us to do our part in stopping evil. And then he says, contrastly, he says, cling to what is good. Now, cling is actually marriage language. He says, be committed to what is good. Uh, Philippians 4 actually instructs us to dwell on what is good. Think about whatever is noble or praiseworthy. Stick fast to what is good. Glue yourself to what is good. Bring about good in the face of evil. And then Paul continues in verse 10. He says, be 
devoted to one another in love. Some Bible translations use the terminology brotherly love. Now, how many of you know that the city of Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love? And where do they get their name? From the Philadelphia. It's from the Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Now, I know if you are a Vikings fan, you may argue that it's not a city of brotherly love, but that's an entirely different story. Okay, for those of you who are Vikings fans and remember a couple years ago, but anyhow, okay. Um, but really, this term, brotherly love, first, this concept first appears in all of history with Christianity in the first century. There is a bond that exists in this new creation, these brothers and sisters in Christ that goes beyond any earthly relationship. And Paul says to the Roman church, and he says to us here at Salem, I want you to be devoted to one another, to treat one another with brotherly love, love that is brave enough to have tough conversations when required, love that forgives when we step on each other's toes, love that stays the course when life gets stormy, and love that invites other people into relationship. And, and then Paul instructs these people, he says this in verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. Uh, the English Standard Version says outdo one another in love. Now, over the years, I don't know about you, I don't know if this is a temptation of yours or a struggle of yours, but over the years, when I have been at a gathering, maybe it's a barbecue or, uh, you know, maybe around the water cooler or a sports event or something, I have had a tendency to kind of want to prop myself up, to talk about the things that I've done, the people I know, the things that I've accomplished, but Paul says, outdo one another in love. What if we made it our goal to outdo one another in love? What if the next time you were at a party or a potluck, you did your best to prop others up? What if your goal was to encourage others, to affirm others, to lift others? What if we bragged on the good things someone else accomplished and did? Instead of circling the conversation back to what I've done or where I've been or where I've, how, what I've accomplished, what if... I truly and you truly tried to elevate someone else. What kind of power would that have? What kind of influence would that have? Then Paul pushes us in verse 11. He says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. When I read this passage or this verse, and it said, keep your spiritual fervor, uh, I was kind of in my quiet time this last week, and I was like, God, how do we do that? How do we keep our spiritual fervor. And then guess what I thought about? I actually thought about the cave, the table, and the road. And I'm guessing if I pulled this congregation here, uh, there would be different things that help you keep your spiritual fervor alive. Now, if you're new to our community, cave means our time alone with God. Table is our time in community with other Christ followers. And the road is like serving, reaching, and loving others in the name of Jesus. And, and for some of you, your cave time is what keeps your spiritual fervor alive, right? That time with Jesus, uh, reading God's word, uh, listening to a worship song, journaling, time in solitude. For others of you, it's being in community with with other Christ followers. It's having somebody who spurs you on and lifts you up. There's something about community that creates just a greater level of spiritual fervor. And then for others of you, it's being on the road. It's serving the needy. It's sharing your faith. It's, it's linking arms with 
others to do something. Well, I was thinking about my cave time. And Jesus says in John 15, he says, be connected to the vine. He says, to remain in him, to abide in him. And this got me to thinking about boat batteries, which is a natural transition, isn't it? Absolutely, boat batteries. Well, bear with me. Intentional community flows out of our relationship with Jesus. Intentional community flows out of our relationship with Jesus. You see, our family has owned a boat for a number of years, and every year at the beginning of the season after it's come out of winter storage, one of the most important things I need to do is make sure that I charge the batteries. And when I do it, I put it on what's called a trickle charger. Now, a trickle charger, if you're not familiar with it, operates a little different than jump-starting a car out in the parking lot when it doesn't work. A trickle charger slowly charges a battery over days. It infuses energy into that battery, and eventually it gets back up to full. And I think our cave time is kind of like a trickle charger. It fills our spiritual body with the thought, or battery with the thoughts, hopes, and ways of Jesus. It grows our trust. It gives us energy to follow Jesus with our lives. And again, when I was thinking about my relationship with my wife, one of the most important things for us to do is spend time together, date nights, serving each other, talking to each other, reflecting back on our beginnings, thinking about where we've been and how far we've come. Those things help to keep our zeal alive. And the same thing seems to work with Christ. The more time you spend with him, the more your spiritual fervor stays alive. All right, let's go to verse 12. And that says, be joyful, Paul writes, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Our Christ-born love is hope-filled. And Paul seems to keep hope at the forefront of this church's mind, this church in Rome. And we all need hope. We need hope when divorce seems imminent, when the diagnosis is dire, when our children feel distant, when the job search comes up empty, when our bodies are failing. However, our hope, for whatever reason, seems more resilient when we are connected to Christ-centered community, when we have others encouraging us and spurring us on, reminding us of the promises of God, telling you that you can get through this and that I am with you and that God will see you through this. And then Paul goes on, be patient in affliction. You see, these Christ-following communities in first century face more than their share of persecution. They face false accusations, displacement, arrest, physical threats, financial hardship. And Paul encourages them and us to be patient in affliction, knowing that God will have the final word, knowing that you can trust him, that he's sovereign, and that in the end there is victory with our Lord. So intentional community needs hope, it needs patience, and it needs prayer. Paul wraps that part up by, say, being faithful in prayer. Paul says, keep on talking to God. You know, one of the worst things you can do uh, is to stop talking to God. Like, you can doubt God. You can be mad at God. You can misunderstand God. You can be frustrated with Him. But my biggest encouragement with you, to you would never stop talking to Him. He wants to hear your concerns. He wants to hear your complaints. He's listening to you, and he loves you, and he wants to meet you in and through that. And then verse 13 says this, Share with the Lord's 
people who are in need. You know, love shares, love acts, love does. About six years ago, in the middle of the night, so about six years ago, I was suddenly awakened by my then nine-year-old son, Aris. And he shakes me awake, and I was sound asleep, and he says, Dad, my nose is stuffy, and I can't sleep. And you know what my thought was? Yeah, now I can't sleep either, buddy. And boy, you know, in the moment, my thoughts were not very loving at all. I did have sympathy for him. Yet, I want, you know, I wanted him to fall back asleep and for his nose to lo- no longer be s- stuffy. But I thought, man up, kid, and get over it. Just blow your nose and go back to bed. But that's not what I did. I did have sympathy for his situation. I was concerned that he wasn't going to get the sleep that he needed on a school night. I was worried that the next morning he might wake up grumpy and angry and irritable because he hadn't slept enough. I wanted him to feel better and to go back to sleep, partially for his well-being, selfishly so I could get back to sleep, but my feelings were not enough. Had I just thought those things and stayed in bed and let him fend for himself, I would not have been showing him love. Here's the deal. Intentional community meets, with, meets needs with action. Intentional community meets needs with actions. So instead, I get up and I get him some Kleenex. He blows his nose for about 10 minutes, but it doesn't make an iota of difference. Then we go to the medicine cabinet. Can I tell you something? At 1 a.m. in the morning, I am incredibly liberal with cold medicine. You have all the cold medicine you want, son. 20 minutes later, that doesn't work. He's still congested, still can't go back to sleep. So then we run a hot bath. He gets in the bath to try to get steam up in there so that he'll feel better. He takes like forever with this bath I'm like dude it's not an oasis on the beach like just take the bath and let's go Uh, but finally it it loosens him up he's able to go back to sleep and he goes to sleep and gets about four more hours of sleep before school now I had empathy and sympathy for him and feelings that could have been construed as love but had I just remained in bed and done nothing I would not have been I would not have demonstrated love to him. Intentional community needs or meets needs with actions. Then verse 13 says this, practice hospitality. Think about uh, first century Palestine. You know, when people were traveling, there was no holiday gas station, no holiday Inn express. There were no cars uh, with air conditioning and DVD players and GPS systems. When missionaries were traveling back in those days, they had very little money and they were completely reliant on the hospitality of others to provide them shelter, to provide them food, to provide them protection. Now, I would argue that hospitality is equally important in this day and age, especially in the church. You know, when someone walks through our doors, one of the questions going through their mind is, is, will these people welcome me? Will I feel like I belong? And like it or not, our kindness to guests and to one another is a reflection on Jesus. So let's talk about hospitality for a moment. I I love hospitality. It's one of my top spiritual gifts. I think hospitality plays a huge role in helping someone feel welcomed and loved. 
Think about like when a greeter stoops down on a knee to greet uh, a young child by name. Or when we ask someone about their lives and their likes. Or when we walk across the room and engage with someone we don't recognize or who is standing alone. Or when we open our home and our hearts to guests. Intentional community is fostered through hospitality. Think about it. Do you practice hospitality? Do you notice when a person is standing alone in the foyer and walk across the room to engage them? Do you open up your circle when you're in the foyer talking with a group of people and you notice someone standing outside? Do you open up your circle and invite someone else into the conversation? Do you reach across racial, cultural, or generational lines to get to know others? Do you help others feel welcomed and loved? You see, every Sunday, and possibly for many of you, every day we have an opportunity to love others by practicing hospitality. And it's a wonderful way to help someone experience love and a sense of belonging. All right, now I want to circle back to what Seth shared last week. Uh, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, when I walked through the doors of that church in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, back as a 27 or 28-year-old guy who was far from Jesus, and I saw the love that that community had for one another, I couldn't pinpoint that as like a turning point, but it certainly played a role in me wanting to come back and find out more. It's like these people love each other, and they seem to love me, and they don't even know me. Think about what could happen. Think about the opportunities and the possibilities within our church. In many ways, I feel like we're already great at this. But what if we kept growing in this way? What if we became the most friendly, became known as the most friendly and welcoming church in the entire Fargo-Moorhead area? Well, I want to share some practical uh, steps with you. Talk, circle back to cave, table, and road as we wrap up this time together. Um, you know, as far as, as hospitality and being intentional about community, the first thing I'd like to suggest or invite you to do is in your cave time this week, perhaps read Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. I didn't cover 14 through 21. I just covered 9 through 13. But I'd recommend reading those slowly three times. Just read through them. And ask God, what do you want me to learn from this passage? Because there is so much there, and there's something that's more than likely going to resonate with you and where you're at. The second thing would be table. Who is God nudging you to offer hospitality to and invite into relationship? You know, there's been a few part people in my heart and mind that's like, I just want to have that couple over for dinner and get to know them better and invite them into my life. Has God been doing something like that with you in your life? Is there somebody that you can invite into relationship? And I, and I encourage you to respond to whatever that nudging would be. And then regarding the table, uh, Pastor Tom shared a little earlier that we are going to be hosting a, a, an event called Guiding Transformational Small Groups. It's going to happen on Wednesday, July 21st. And this is a training that is helpful for whether or not you've led groups for years whether you're just considering leading groups, 
But it's much broader than that. It's not just about leading groups. This is a training that helps you to ask good questions. And anybody know what happens when you ask good questions? You generally foster good conversation, don't you? How many of us could use a few better questions sitting around the dinner table with our kids? Or, or maybe with our, our, our in-laws or our friends or our co-workers or around the campfire. And that's a lot of what happens through this training. You learn how to build trust and ask great questions and facilitate relational learning. And then the road, the road. In my mind, uh, in my mind the road starts as soon as you walk out that pew and into these aisles. And so my recommendation or my thoughts for the road are extend an invitation by starting a conversation. That would be a simple step for any one of us to take this week. Just extend an invitation by starting a conversation. And then the second thing I've got there is join the Sunday lunch team or attend Discover You. Now, Sunday lunch team may be completely new language to you because it's the first time I've ever said it in this church. Um, so when we got together a, a few weeks ago uh, for that community builders gathering, one of the things that rose to the top was like, we just need to have more ways for people to connect to people on a Sunday. Like Sundays, you guys are all here, right? And well, except for you online, but we'd love to have you. So when you come back, this will apply to you. Um, but one thing we'd like to do uh, is to intentionally have people that want to either host lunch in their home every Sunday. You could do it with a couple of other people. It could be a few of you that gather together to do this. Or you simply decide, hey, we're going to go to a restaurant. We're going to invite four, five, six, seven other people. And that there would be a group of people that were committed to having that sort of lunch every single Sunday that they drop by the Connection Center, find out who's new, or they'd see somebody they don't know and say, we're just going to invite them to lunch. So if you would have any inkling to be part of this lunch team, to be part of that effort to welcome and love people and invite them into community, uh, Chiago de Mendez has offered to kind of help up coordinating that. And so if you have interest in joining that and being part of that, uh, I invite you to fill out a connection card this morning and just write Sunday lunch in the comment section. Drop it off at the Connection Center and we will connect you with Chiago. But regardless of whether you do that, how cool would it be if we just all practiced that? Right? How cool would it be if we just said, hey, I'm going to go to lunch today. I'm going to invite somebody. Like, this doesn't need to be organized by the church in any way, shape, or form. But we do want to get intentional about it. And so I invite you to think through that. With that, I'm going to close our time in prayer. So let's pray together. And Father, I would just want to backpedal just a, a few paces. I just shared a lot of application uh, but so much of this comes uh, back to how we think, to our minds being renewed, to us being filled with the love of God and that love of God leaking out of us. You know, sometimes I'll hear the phrase, when you're squeezed, what comes out of you? And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that that would more and more be the love of Jesus. And I just have a conviction in my heart, mind, and soul uh, that our love for Jesus and for others grows when we are in community together. 
And God, whatever those steps need to be in each and every one of our lives, uh, whether that's joining a larger group or just inviting a small group of people to get together or if that's just uh, connecting with one other person. God, I pray that you give us the courage to take risk if it feels risky. I pray that you give us the, uh, the encouragement uh, just to respond to those nudgings of the Spirit and for us to build relationships and be everything that you want us to be as we come together as one body under Jesus. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.